One of the great things about hosting a podcast about books that features a new episode every week is that in the beginning of each season, I don't know where my reading journey will take me, but I'm game for the mystery. Joining Book of the Month is kind of the same thing. You know you're heading into new territory, and it's going to be an adventure. Book of the Month is a subscription that helps readers discover new books and helps writers by promoting emerging authors alongside established ones. Here's how it works. Each month, Book of the Month members get to choose from a curated selection of new and early release books. Your pick gets shipped right to your door, and shipping is always free. There's so much excitement knowing that one of your picks just might be that next book to make it into your top 10 most favorite books ever list. And if you like to listen to your books, there are options for you. Book of the Month just launched a curated audiobook option, and you can listen to your selection directly in the app. Here's what's in store for March. Annie Bott by Sierra Greer. Anita DeMonte Laughs Last by Sochil Gonzalez, plus several other titles. I chose the memoir Hereafter by Amy Lynn because I'm interested in how people deal with grief and bring their insights to the page. For a limited time, you can get your first book of the month for just $9.99 using the code CHIRP. You can sign up at bookofthemonth.com. This is First Draft, a dialogue on writing produced at Aspen Public Radio. I'm Mitzi Rabkin. First Draft highlights the voices of writers as they discuss their work, their craft, and the literary arts. My guest, who joined me via Skype, is Israeli author Dorit Rabinian. She has written three novels, including Strand of a Thousand Pearls, Persian Brides, and All the Rivers. Rabinian was born in Israel to an Iranian Jewish family. Her novels are international bestsellers, and her novel, All the Rivers, became a center of a political scandal in Israel when the Ministry of Education banned the book from the high school's curriculum. All the Rivers tells the story of an Israeli woman, Liat, and Palestinian man, Hilmi, who meet and fall in love in New York. Liat, however, cannot accept the relationship as permanent while her lover is more open to the possibility. We began by discussing the impetus for this story. It's uh, it's a great question because, you know, to generate writing a novel for a few years, you have to have some some engines. My my emotional motivation was my need to carry on a memory of someone I met in New York when I was living there in 2002. He was an artist from Palestine. I met him in fall and we spent this, this, the, the winter together. In that year, 2003, uh, the, the, the summer of 2003 in August, he had lost his life. And this had made me, in a way, in, in, need, in need to tell about this encounter, this um, affair that we were experiencing, and this friendship, this ally that we've created. So there was there was this emotional need to rescue the memory. And of course, since I'm a novelist, I always need a theme to tell a story. Otherwise, I don't find any need to uh, maybe any necessity to develop 
uh, the storytelling. So I had the theme, I had uh, uh, um, my intellectual drive, but it was carried on by this emotional um, obligation, commitment that I was feeling towards this memory. Telling about the relationship is never enough. I need more. I need uh, uh, an artistic challenge to tell what happened in the sort of the sorts of ways that I can elaborate of how it happened. And again, to add a distant portion of imagination in order to create fiction. In the novel, we have the character of Liat, and she meets Hilmi. Is that how you pronounce it? Exactly, both Liat and Hilmi. And so they meet in Greenwich Village. It's a random meeting, although they had a friend in common. And she's there doing translation work, and he's there doing art. And they're about the same age. They're Israeli and Palestinian. Can you just tell our readers a little bit about, you know, their meeting and a little bit about Liat's mindset? Liat came to New York for six months only. Khilmi has been living in New York for four years. He's in the verge of his artistic breakthrough. He's very ambitious, very enthusiastic about his art, and he's doing very well. Uh, Liat is more, uh, she's sponsored by a foundation. She's in, she's a scholar. She's more the rational uh, half of these, of these two, of the couple. And I think that by, by coming close, by experiencing this taste of intimacy, of getting to know each other, they explore not only one another in particular, but also the, this twilight zone where their identities brushes, where the Israeli identity, the Jewish identity, and the Palestinian Arab identity, they experience the proximity of their identities that known to themselves as uh, as enemies. And the, the, the theme of intimacy, this closeness, is also a reflection of what's going on back home to their two nations. It's both uh, uh, being written through the, 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 the lens of a microscope of two individuals creating a universe of themselves in this harsh New York winter cold. And the, the, the symbiosis that can be observed in a more telescopic scope, in a more uh, distant uh, eye of themselves as not representatives, but in a way creating uh, a reflection to the ethnic coexistence of Israelis and Palestinians between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean shore. You're listening to First Draft, a dialogue on writing produced at Aspen Public Radio. I'm Mitzi Rapkin. My guest who joined me via Skype is Israeli author Dorit Rabinian. Her latest novel is called All the Rivers. It seems like obviously that place is so important that they're they're in New York, that they're in this neutral place, because even if these two people met also through a friend at a cafe in Israel, it just would have been so different. Sure, it would be, It would have been uh, a very short, almost impassable uh, random encounter 
that would have been cut. Since for Liat to come in the occupied territories, she would break the Israeli law that, that forbids Israeli citizens to go in what's called the Zone A, which is the Palestinian territories. She would have come to, to meet, let's say, Hilmi in a, in a cafe in Ramallah. She wouldn't have the time, the leisure, the space to really get to know him. At the same way, if, if, if Hilmi was permitted by the Israeli army to go in the Israeli territories within the 67 Green Line, it would have been very short and very observed visit. What New York allows them is both the, the space, this uh, territory that is a liberated uh, ex-territory to the, to the conflict, it's the, the land of all opportunities. It's, it's a chance to have the opportunity to, to get close, to get to know each other. And it's an equal ground. There is no one who is superior to the other. There is no one who is, uh, who is whose rights are more privileged. The, the, they, are, they are allowed to, to be distant from the circles of influence that they are obliged to be. Uh, being near their immediate surrounding. So it, it allowed me to uh, have this background, uh, not only to enable them to get to know each other, but also to neutralize the conflict in order to look into it in a more fundamental way in their identity. Their, their conflict is carried within them. They It, it had shaped their outlook. It, it had molded so much of their emotional landscape. So New York allows both the taste of exile, but a chance to explore this concept of homeland in a more free, restful way. In their relationship in New York, it was clear that Liat came from more privilege. She, I mean, just geographically where she's allowed to go, um, her experience with the sea, she loved going to the sea, and Hilmi had never been swimming in the sea, and so that was a major difference. And I'm just wondering, uh, can you talk about the the difference in privilege between them? Yes, it's a it's a, a painful point because the 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 psychological course of this relationship is very much uh, conditioned by Liat's guilt for being privileged, for being on the winning side, for, for her sense of responsibility towards Khilmi's Palestinianness of being uh, harmed by her fortunate history, by her fortunate narrative of being uh, on top of things, that she was... Uh, enjoying so many more liberties, liberties just by the fact that in 1948, her tribe had been the one to gain independency, to give her this silver plate of, of freedom and so many human rights by being an Israeli, by being raised in a liberal society with, within this democratic uh, structure. She acknowledged it. She acknowledges it uh, through knowing Khilmi. She doesn't come 
from the beginning knowing of how much she was luckier than he was. The, the more she comes close to him, the more she learns of how much she is uh, entitled of her humanity just by the fact that she would acknowledge she acknowledged his humanity and his right to be given with all those uh, privileges that she had gained just by being born in Israeli. And, and this, this uh, acknowledgement of this shared destiny of them both, of Israelis and Palestinians, it's a, it's a, it's maybe one of the reasons that I was sorry for the book to be banned from these millennial kids that are now in high school because they were uh, never experienced what my generation was uh, tasting. This drop of portion that the nineties, uh, Rabin, our late prime minister was conducting this Oslo Accord, this, this chance to hope for a different future, reaching out to our neighbors and acknowledging them of their of their, the, the fact that, that we have our um, circumstances of life dependent on one another, our futures are dependent on one another. We cannot enjoy all our liberties without acknowledging the fact that if, if there's smoke coming out of the window of our neighbor, our safety, our security within our own room, our own apartment wouldn't be as safe as, as we want it to be. We have to have a dialogue. We have to have this uh, understanding. And I, 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 was, I was hoping uh, youngsters in Israel would come, uh, will have this chance to see what Liat and Hilmi are experiencing for, for and, and the more I have readership of young readers, the more I, I am more um, encouraged. The publishing industry is a system. Books are mirrors in people's experiences. And in season two of Missing Pages, We'll take a look at what happens when an old system faces new challenges. This is what happens when you involve money. I'm Beth Ann Patrick, literary critic, writer, and your host of season two of the Missing Pages podcast, a show that gives you a ringside seat to some of the juiciest conflicts in the book world. In season two, we're turning up the dial. She was in pretty much a stratosphere all around. The term is academic fraud. Teachers in Florida had to cover up their bookshelves for fear of getting sanctioned or fired. We'll dig into these stories with industry insiders and talk to authors like Jody Picot for their firsthand experiences. You can childproof your world, but you can't worldproof your child. It's time we find these missing pages and return them to their stories. Listen and subscribe to season two wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to First Draft, a dialogue on writing produced at Aspen Public Radio. I'm Mitzi Rapkin. My guest who joined me via Skype is Israeli author Dorit Rabinian. Her latest novel is called All the Rivers. Tell me a little bit about the book being banned. I've read about that, but I don't know what led to it and, and what your reaction to it was. Oh, what led to it is uh, <laughs> the political climate nowadays in Israel. It has been uh, darkened and darkened and gets, gets the liberal camp in Israel to be very much uh, threatened by this, uh, these steps, these steps taken by our government to limit the freedom of speech and the freedom of expression, the freedom of thoughts. And it's uh, been 
led by Prime Minister Netanyahu and all his apprentices, all the ministers of culture, ministers of my case, my case was the Minister of Education. The, they have an interest of making the Israeli population more religious because it had proven that the more religious, the more Jewish they are, then their votes become more right-wing. And this is their more ambitious, let's say more cynical interest. So uh, a, a book um, like mine, a novel that suggests a more humanistic, a more uh, universal way to to approach the Palestinian neighbor, it's it's uh, was found to be a threat, and I quote, to their Jewish identity of the young readers, and it was found to be, uh, <laughs> according to them, a novel that might encourage those uh, high school students to to assimilate with uh, the Arab residents of the country. My reaction that it was and still is, uh, I'm, I'm astonished. I'm still overwhelmed, although months were passing by by now. But, but it's every time I think of it, I find it to be so ironic. I find it to be an absurd. I'm not alone in this. I have so many of my... Um, uh, friends and 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 readers and and colleagues that are had turned this book into a symbol uh, to the threat over the freedom of speech in Israel. I am still amazed by this ban, and I I, I still find so many of what's going on in Israel to be a reason to worry. And I am part of many peace and, and, and democratic activists in Israel trying to bring back the balance between our Jewish identity and our democratic identity, this hyphen of the, that our, life are, are be, our lives are being hang on, hanged on. This hyphen between Jewish democratic state, it's uh, so crucial, it's so fragile. We have so many powers from within this democratic structure that are trying to break down or to harm or to uh, disbalance this uh, crucial element of our liberal life. It's not only those powers from outside like we're used to. So in a way, in a way, we're become a minority and uh, we have to fight back. But <laughs> it's not it's not easy. It's not easy. It's very frustrating to to have your uh, culture, your society change in front of your own eyes. It's very, very frightening. Back in the book, you know, because Liat and Hilmi were, she had a temporary visa. She couldn't stay in the U.S. for much longer, and he could. There was sort of an understanding of their whole relationship, not just their physical space in New York and how long they could stay, but the differences between them, that there was an, an, an end to their relationship, at least from her point of view. And I'm just wondering... I guess I find I always find that interesting when you if you really love someone and you know it's going to end how how difficult that can be and I'm I'd love to hear your thoughts about writing that into their love story. 
As I mentioned, I believe that uh, a person is uh, uh, is molded by the landscape of his education, his raising, his homeland. So I, I don't I don't escape from the fact that so many of Liat's character is being based on those powers that push her, but not only push her, they they pull her back at the same time. Those powers that define who she is, that creates this self of her. And 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 she and she is in a, in a way conditioned by those powers and this this frame that she in a way puts on this relationship and and doesn't allow beyond it she she in a way cannot bear the thought of partnership with Hilmi and in a way it's it's an outcome of the way she was raised. She was uh, educated to 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 think of them as as two different entities, and even when she comes close and gets to see how much they have in similar, how much they have in common, how much they do share, and although he suggests this sweet approach and his tolerancy and his uh, generosity of saying let's have this <laughs> uh, togetherness she uh, defines herself to be separated from him and it's 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 tragic because I, I understand her <laughs> I wanted to portray this fear of her getting lost within his identity. I wanted to create this garden of Eden for them both, this love of them, in order to outline these powers of intimidation from this mixture that Lechilmi suggests to her, to her. My drive was not so much the love, but the fear of love, because I play a very, let's say, strange duet between this parallel between the fear of love and the fear of peace. And I, 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 I think Liat's fear of love is very personal, but in a way it reflects a, an unconscious Israeli fear of belonging within this region, to be part of it, to be, to be um, this fear of being subsumed by the Arab culture that might devour the Jewish-Israeli identity. So in a way, it's it's very much intimate. It's very much two particular individuals that, that come together, and Liat creates this boundary, this hedge between them, this, out, this borderline that she refuses to let go of because it doesn't exist in her geographical, physical, political reality. So it's 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 all it's always that I go from this microscope to this telescope. I always go from the broadened scope to the most intimate scope. You're listening to First Draft, a dialogue on writing produced at Aspen Public Radio. I'm Mitzi Rapkin. My guest who joined me via Skype is Israeli author Dorit Rabinian. Her latest novel is called All the Rivers. I, I think an interesting aspect about that, too, is if you look at their lives, her life, her life was so much more open. She had so many opportunities, um, many more than he did. But I felt like he he had a, a bigger vision of the world than she did. 
fantastic. I love it. I take it with both hands. I love it because you know there was there was um, um, this in this case I, I go to the craft more than the book. There was uh, there was a book there was a point there was a paragraph that that was um, taken off the book while editing in which Hilmi tells Liat that he was uh, studying four years in in Baghdad. He studied art in the 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 the, uh, the Bozart the, the 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 University for Fine Arts in Baghdad and Liat because she is so provincial and she's not aware of being so provincial so Israeli so kept to herself she's surprised that there is such institution such academic institution as the Bozart in Baghdad <laughs> and and Hilmi is much more experienced with the world with the with the, um, and this is this is this came as a surprise to many Israelis who are considering considering Palestinians to be uh, either ignorance at the worst case demons, and they don't they don't see them as potential equal partners. Um, and I love it that you you see of how much more uh, sophisticated. Uh, Hilmi's point of view towards thing and how limited Liat sees their 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 partnership, their her future with him. How much she's really? They say you you can take the girl out of the ghetto, but you can't take the ghetto out of the girl. So she is being her thought is being shaped with this diasporic rhetoric and and concept of of things and and. And I think Hilmi, Hilmi is, uh, is is more universal in his way of uh, observing things, and, and and her too. Can you read a passage from an author that speaks to you or influenced you as a writer? I write in Hebrew better than I read in English. <laughs> I always feel so insecure when I read in English, and I respect and love English so much that I don't want to harm her it with my bad pronunciation and i chose i chose uh, mrs dalloway opening opening paragraph page at the time that liat goes back from new york back to tel aviv and she is uh, experiencing her hometown all over again as a tourist after a year in new york after a, a winter in new york she she gets to see the obvious in a more fresh, new gaze, due also to her encounter and and knowing Khilmi. I was uh, was using the opening of Mrs. Dalloway by the genius Virginia Woolf to create this day of the, the beginning of June when Tel Aviv is so beautiful and so fresh and so sweet everything in the in the early days of june are the best <laughs> and i uh, i i used uh, her description of london in the early days of june as a as a reference mrs dalloway said she would buy the flowers herself for lucy had her work cut out for her the doors would be taken off their hinges Rumpelmeyer's men were coming, and then thought Clarissa Dalloway, what a morning, fresh as if issued to children on a beach. 
What a lark, what a plunge, for so it had always seemed to her when, with a little squeak of the hinges, which she could hear now, she had burst open the French windows and plunged at Burton into the open air. How fresh, how calm, stiller than this, of course, the air was in the early morning, like the flap of a wave, the kiss of a wave, chill and sharp, and yet, for a girl of 18, as she then was, solemn, feeling as she did, standing there at the open window, that something awful was about to happen, looking at the flowers, at the trees with the smoke winding off them, and the rooks rising, falling, standing, and looking, until Peter Walsh said, musing among the vegetables, was that it? I prefer men to cauliflower. Was that it? He must have said it at breakfast one morning when she had gone out on the terrace. Peter Walsh. He would be back from India one of these days, June or July, she forgot which, for his letters were awfully dull. It was his sayings one remembered, his eyes, his pocket knife, his smile, his grumpiness, and when millions of things had utterly vanished, how strange it was. A few sayings like this about cabbages. So that's the opening. Thank you so much. This is, this is I mean, I, I have goosebumps. When you were reading, I was... Uh, I recalled my my own reading of this exact passage in Hebrew because I refer to Mrs. Dalloway not written. I mean, it's written in English, but I I consumed it in Hebrew and I I carry it within me in Hebrew. Uh, and the influence the influence I was uh, enjoying was uh, the Hebrew great translation. And so I I am. I love Virginia Woolf so much, and I uh, I adore the way she can pack a whole world in one page. See how beautiful, how crystal it is, and this book is so I cherish it so much. It's, I love it so dearly. You're listening to First Draft, a dialogue on writing produced at Aspen Public Radio. I'm Mitzi Rapkin. My guest who joined me via Skype is Israeli author Dorit Rabinian. Her latest novel is called All the Rivers. Well, can you read a passage that's, that you wrote that maybe it was something that changed a lot from the first draft or was tricky to write? And do you want me to read it? I would love you to read it. And I would say that the, the, the reason I chose this one is because Eventually, even before editing and after editing, I I was reducing. I think there was this chapter of Hilmi and Liat first evening, uh, uh, going back and forth on the pavements of the West Village, looking for those keys that Hilmi had lost. I I, you, I I was struggling so much with this journey because I had to, I thought that I have to break so many walls in this, during this course, the, the course of this, this evening that they come to know each other. And I, 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 I wrote so much that didn't go in the book eventually because I, I, I was struggling to overcome so many prejudices. And so many built-in hostility and memories and recalls and so many things that I thought I have to let go that, that I have that I thought my character should go through and let go of. And eventually, I I acknowledged that there is, that trust can be still 
built at a time of suspicion that I don't have to have such a long voyage of them getting to know each other until I gain uh, trust between them. Am I, am, I, am I understood? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> this is the most ultimate wish for a novelist, to be understood. Okay, should I read this? Please do. We turned back to Broadway and headed south this time from 28th toward 10th Street. We walked briskly, purposefully, alert to every metallic glimmer on the sidewalk, down to Union Square, right, then left, and down 6th Avenue. Hilmi taking large, energetic strides, paving a path for us through the crowds, and me behind him. As we searched among all the moving feet in case the keys had fallen on the way, we passed the same window displays and brightly lit alleys we'd seen before, the same doorways of shops and giant department stores, the same lines of trees and shady treetops, and office buildings, now on our left, dark and locked. So after they're searching for the keys in this part and they're sort of seeing things in the New York streets and she's talking about the sea in Tel Aviv that she loved. And as they go past the delis, there's a, another section where you write, we entered the desolate darkness of a pub and asked to use the bathroom. While I stood outside the single stall in the women's restroom waiting for someone to emerge, I wondered whether Hilmi in the men's room on the other side of the wall, was also reading the word in the little door lock, occupied, and thinking about the occupation. Eventually, eventually, all those uh, barriers of, uh, of of separation, all those points where you see them being uh, projected by the by the by the conflict, they they do they do they do come to this core of knowing each other so well that there's a point in the book where Liat feels so close to him that she says, I feel so close to him as if I can actually understand what it is to be him. And this point where she becomes so close, where it be becomes so sweet that the mixture of them two becomes so uh, fundamental, this is where her alarm starts to beep because she gets to the state of uh, emergency that she might lose herself within him beyond recognition be, be, just by the fact of being so much in love. This, this, uh, this is something that is uh, not necessarily unique to uh, uh, a Palestinian and an Israeli couple. It's, it can happen between, a, let's say, an Eskimo <laughs> and a Native American. It's it's not it's not necessarily a, a, it's a very universal thing that happens in love when you become so close that you feel the dark side of this closeness is the one that can take over you of who you are and you you might lose yourself within this togetherness. Tell me, um, where do you write? It's it's very it's very boring. I, I write in my in my living room. I, I I cannot write uh, in a cafe or outdoor. I need I need uh, uh, perfect silence when I when I write when I concentrate. It takes me a while. I need to to shut myself down so there is no Wi-Fi. And, and I try to create the more uh, hermetic condition, her, hearing my own voice to redeem the story from um, my mind. What do you do or where do you go to get away from writing? 
we don't really get away from writing it while we are writing. It's in between one work to another that you get away. But once you're captured by a story, a character, a tale, then 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 you you don't really have a vacation out of it. Uh, even, but I do I do have uh, adopted a, a way of maybe it's professionality that on weekends. In a way, my muse takes her own weekend as well, <laughs> and I don't. And I don't. I try not to think of of my writing, but sometimes it does visit me, and I just scribble something down. And I, I, I try not to work on weekends. Who do you show your work to first to get feedback? Oh, I adore my editor. <laughs> He's the one that uh, becomes uh, subscribed to my chapters being grown in the computer and he's being sent to um, every time I have uh, something uh, more formed to show to him and he responses and together we we um, exam what I have done and, and what I achieved and if there's uh, anything that he can add or uh, reduce and and he's he's my first reader and I, 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 I tend to to keep my writing away from my loved ones because I, 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 I had experienced uh, that the response while writing is, is, um, is, is might be too influential. I, I try to please or I try to revolt. I, I prefer to keep it um, a secret. And uh, once the book is written and edited, then I'm ready to take it out of the dark room and to develop the best before my my uh, first reader that is not my editor would uh, judge it. How have you dealt with rejection? Uh, to be honest, I I, I haven't. <laughs> I was very lucky. I was starting my uh, writing when I was uh, 21 and published my first debut novel when I was 22. And uh, ever since, I was uh, very much celebrated and ac accepted. So I, I am. Uh, I'm, if there's if there's a, a critic within. If there's a critic that had rejected my work, it's only my own self-criticism that uh, I deal with. You may say I become more severe towards myself because of being so fortunate. And what is your favorite word? It doesn't have to be in English. Favorite word in Hebrew would be ya'al, which means uh, a forest. But ya'al, uh, it, 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 I, I, I feel the impact. Um, just by saying it, it, it's in a way I see a, an image, it relaxes me. You've been listening to First Draft, a dialogue on writing produced at Aspen Public Radio. My guest was Israeli novelist Dorit Rabinian. Her novels include A Strand of a Thousand Pearls, Persian Brides, and All the Rivers. You can follow First Draft on Facebook. Just look for First Draft, a dialogue on writing, and click like, and on Twitter at First Draft APR.